Welcome to the Business Diaries podcast, where we uncover the stories that shaped the business owner. Brought to you by Lisa Settle and Isla O'Hara. Welcome to the Business Diaries podcast. My name is Lisa Settle. And my name is Isla O'Hara. And we'll be your hosts for today. The Business Diaries is a storytelling platform for businessmen and women to share their stories, the ups and the downs of the entrepreneur, providing the rest of us with valuable insights, tips and motivation. The storytelling began back in 2017 as live events. And the very first live event had a theme that was called Working Away. Now, today we have the pleasure of hearing from one of the storytellers from that very first event. It was interesting how the six storytellers that night actually all had their own variation on the theme. But the story we're visiting today is all about being respectful of other cultures and customs when you're traveling, and especially if you want to trade with them. So Isla has all the details. Fill us in, Isla. Who's in the guest seat today? Well, today we're delighted to announce Chris Pollard is our storyteller. Chris has had a long career spanning many years in the fashion and textile industry, which took him far and wide buying and selling textiles. But I just want to add on to something you said, Lisa, that Chris shared his story at our very first meeting, uh, very first live event of the Business Diaries. And we just wanted to take this moment before we get stuck into your story, Chris, to thank you for all the support that you've shown us over the years since that very first meeting and the advice that you give us as we go through and for being a co-host of many of those live events. So many thanks for that. Thank you both very much. Uh, It's an absolute pleasure to to support you and and I appreciate you inviting me on today. Oh, that's no problem. Well, we're delighted that you're here today because I understand, well, you have many stories to share, I know, and I've been privileged to hear many of them. But the story that you're going to share with us today was back in the 1980s, I believe, when your business at that time particularly meant that you were traveling far and wide. And I know that the one that we're going to hear today is from a particular trip to Taiwan. So over to you, Chris. Can you tell us what happened? Yes, I can. Thank you very much, Isla. Well, actually, uh, it was in the late 90s. I didn't start traveling to to the Far East until around about 1995. Uh, And it was on one of these trips. uh, When I go to the Far East, I go to Korea, to Taiwan, uh, to Thailand. And then in the last, after the uh, millennium, I include China in that trip as well. Um, I got to know uh, two of my suppliers very well in Taiwan. And one of them said, uh, invited me on my next trip. He said, Chris, I'm going to take you away for a long weekend to the eastern side of Taiwan. So I arrived in Taipei. We had a couple of days of business. And on the Friday night, uh, we jumped onto a plane and we flew about 45 minutes to the eastern side of Taiwan. It was a beautiful area. It was quiet. There was a lovely sandy beach. It was warm. And he said, uh, tomorrow morning, uh, I'm going to take you to a national park. And tomorrow evening, uh, there will be uh, a few of my my friends are coming over and we'll have a dinner. So in the morning, uh, we jumped in the car. He had a driver, as he did in Taipei. And um, we drove to this beautiful area uh, in, in, uh, on the eastern side of, you know, of Taiwan. There were cliffs, uh, the road that we went along, to the right, there was a gorge. There was a beautiful river about 100 feet below, and they had cut the road out of the cliff. We arrived at the park. I remember us 
getting out of the car and and uh, my supplier said, hold on, Chris, I'll just go and buy the tickets. And I could see at the distance this rope bridge. And I thought, well, I'm not going over that. Guess what? A few minutes later, he comes back to me and he says, OK, Chris, his tickets, off we go. And starts to walk towards, walk towards the uh, rope bridge. And I said, uh, Steve, are you serious? He said, yeah, no problem. No problem, Chris. Come on. He said, you're a man. So with trepidation, I went to the edge of this rope, uh, you know, this rope bridge. And I looked down. It was about 150, maybe 200 feet drop. And then there's gushing water below. And I thought, I'll blow it. And I walked across this rope bridge. And I, I will be frank with you, I'm, I was terrified. I really was. Anyway, I made it to the other side. And I remember just thinking, wow, wow. Anyway, we walked around this beautiful park. It was stunning. I do remember the birds, uh, the butterflies. I remember us sitting at, a, I suppose, a cafe uh, drinking green tea. We were there for probably, I don't know, two or three hours from memory. Anyway, later on, um, after we'd, we'd left the cafe, we walked around a little bit longer. And I started to prepare myself to walk back over the rope bridge. And as we're starting to walk to the rope bridge, he said, where are you going? I said, well, I've got to go back to the bridge to, to meet your driver. He said, no. He said, my driver's over there. Look, can you just see through the trees? There's a car park. So what he'd done was he had very craftily, well, he had a great sense of humour. And uh, this was just what I was soon to find out was his first trick that he had in place for me for the weekend. So we walked over to the car park, we jumped in the car and we drove back um, over to, um, I think it was an area called Hualien from memory. In the afternoon, we went to a paddy field, went to a friend of his who had this house uh, in the middle of a paddy field and we were shooting at tin cans and drinking green, green tea. And then in the evening came, um, he said, right, I'll meet you in half an hour. Uh, I'm going to take you to a restaurant where there'll be a number of my friends. We arrived at the uh, restaurant. Uh, there was a large round table, and there were there were ten of us in total. There was uh, lager on the table, and there was you know the local rice wine, which is quite alcoholic, thankfully. So we were talking, we were laughing, and I noticed uh, a, a, an oval plate was brought up and put just in front of me, and there was a cover on it. And I didn't take a lot of notice of it because I thought there'd be other food. Um, being put on the table and after a while we'd uh, we'd all said cheers we'd had a few shots of of, uh, of uh, sake and uh, Steve my supplier leans in and says Chris you are the guest of honor you have to eat first he said you must take a mouthful of whatever is under there and then everybody will uh, be able to start eating so I didn't give it a lot of thought so I lifted the lid up put it down on the table to the left. And then I realized and saw what was underneath. They were live prawns. So I leaned back into Steve again. I said, Steve, are you serious? Do you really want me to eat one of those? He said, Chris, you're the guest of honor. He said, come on. He said, it's no problem. He said, you can do it. So everybody around the table, I noticed, started to go quiet. And I thought, well, 
I took another sip of the uh, sake. I leant in. I picked a prawn up and I put it in my mouth and I bit off just behind the head. And all of a sudden, everybody around the table table cheered um, and another, another shot of sake was drunk. So I sat back in the chair and then to my left, there was a waiter. He picked the lid up. He put the lid back on the, on the plate and he walked away. And I said to Steve, where's he gone with the prawns? He said, Chris, do you think we'd be stupid enough to eat raw prawns? Oh, my. So, so he's got not to cook then. <laughs> I know. It's one of those, isn't it? It leaves you a bit speechless. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, Steve's a bit of a joker, Chris. <laughs> oh, he had a great sense of humour. Great sense of humour. Yes, I miss him. I haven't spoken to him for over 20 years. He was a good man. Yes, he was. And he was an excellent supplier. Um, and, and this was one of the, the things about the, the Taiwanese. I found them uh, quite, uh, they're quite liberal in their views and their way of living and, and mm. their way of trading with people. Do you yeah. know what, when you first said that, first told the story, I hadn't actually twigged that that was all in 24 hours. Um, so, you know, <laughs> a bit of an ordeal, really, for 24 hours, you know, feeling uncomfortable with the with the rope bridge. And I don't know how you did that, because I, too, suffer with with heights and um, that I would have been extremely uncomfortable. Um, but you, you took it in your stride. I mean, even with the prawns, you honestly believe that that was their custom. So you were very open and, um, you know, you didn't want to offend. So you you went with it. Uh, and that's that's great, but there are a lot of people that wouldn't have done that. And I, you know, my my question to you is: during your travels, do you, and and obviously the world's getting smaller because we've all become accustomed to travelling further afield, et cetera, et cetera. You know, do you think mindsets have become more favourable to cultural differences? Are people becoming, you know, being more open? Um. I think, do I think they're becoming more open? That's a hard question to answer because I, I don't know whether I could answer uh, for, for British people per se. Right. Um, I know from my own perspective um, that I learned to just accept uh, and, and always not to judge uh the people that I was with in whatever country I was in because they're different cultures they have different lives they've had different upbringings and mm. by removing that barrier um that allowed me to absorb those differences you know, by listening to them hearing uh, asking appropriate questions watching them uh and and it, to me it's very exciting um I take great pleasure in learning about another culture and mm -hmm. I learned about the Koreans uh, I learned I, I came to understand the Taiwanese who were very different from the Chinese who were very different from the Thais who were very different from the Turks and any Europeans mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and, and and I think once you learn that that approach Lisa it's it's it just opens up your whole world yeah I mean, it certainly pays to be curious and to be interested in others, doesn't it? Yes, um, yes it does. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I think that that pre-preparation of the learning that you did before you went, but but in spite of that, you were clearly put to the test on that 
that trip. In fact, you <laughs> you you refer to both of those instances as a trick, and that your you know your colleague as a trickster. Do you think that there was a mutual respect behind that? Yes, he was you know playing tricks on you, but do you do you think that it it wasn't malicious in any way? Was there a respect? Um, and do you think yeah. that they were open to learning about you as much as you were open to learning about them? Well, firstly, uh, yes, there was mutual respect. Uh, and I think mutual respect works better when, when it's a two-way experience. Mm-hmm. Um, there was <sighs> your second question. I think they're very smart. Mm-hmm. Far Eastern people, to my, in my opinion, are very smart. They look at the West from a different perspective than we would look at the Far East. The West has a has a history of, of in my opinion, arrogance. Mm. Our way is the only way. Whereas my experience in the East was that they didn't judge. They took you for who you were. Um, and they always wanted to be courteous and respectful. Um, the Koreans, for example, a country that I first started working with, who I cut my teeth on uh, uh, learning how to work out of the Far East, uh, a lovely nation of people, such kind people. Um, they just want to do the best for you. That's not saying that my experience in Taiwan was was any different. Yes, uh, the suppliers I work with there always wanted to to do their best for you because, after all, they're in business. Yeah. They, they, you know, but but the Koreans to me were very special. Um, the, their culture is uh, their history, their culture, their food, their approach to business, their approach to people, and I got to know them as well. Very well indeed. I got to know some of the suppliers, the individuals I was working with. I got to know their families. Mm. I was invited to their homes as I was in Taiwan. You don't get invited to someone's home to meet someone's family unless they can see that you respect them. Yeah, Mm. of course. Mm. And, and and that learning and that taking an interest in in their way of life and their culture and that 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 openness you know, it goes such a long way to avoiding any misunderstandings. You've travelled far and wide over, I mean, it wasn't just the Far East. I believe you've you've travelled to America, to Eastern Europe, far, far afield. Back in the 90s, obviously, we didn't have access to Google like we do now, so you couldn't instantly too quick, quickly look things up to read on what to do. Do you have any examples of where perhaps things didn't quite go according to plan and there perhaps was a misunderstanding yes i do <laughs> when i started when i started working with china in the late 90s um i mean nowadays they are a powerhouse but like everyone else they had to learn they have their culture they had their way of doing things in their country whether we like them or not, if you want to trade with a na- with a nation, um, within reason, you, ha- you you need to accept their way of doing things and focus on what you want to achieve. Mm-hmm. So it's got to be a win-win for both sides. Of course. Yeah. And I remember the first time um, I sent a piece of fabric over to China. Um, this will be in the late 90s. 
they were just beginning to come on board for textiles in a big way. They'd been delivering throughout the Far East, but they hadn't been delivering very much to, to, to the West. Um, whereas prior to that, it had been Japan, Korea, Taiwan, Thailand. And I sent over this piece of fabric, waited for a sample. They said, yes, no problem, Mr. Chris, we'll make a sample for you. And uh, six weeks later, I happened to be going to China, that's six or eight weeks. And when I arrived, they said, Mr. Chris, here's the sample. And I looked at the sample with horror. If I give you an example, if I sent over a wine glass, a clear wine glass, and then they produced a blue water tumbler, they, would, they were then saying, well, that's similar because <laughs> they produced two glasses. And this is what they were doing with fabric because the West and the retailers, certainly in, in uh, the UK, were so strict. If you gave them a sample and that was the sample of the fabric that was confirmed, it had to be exactly the same. And if there were any, anything slightly different, the weave, the color, the quality, the finish, it was rejected. Now, the Chinese weren't accustomed to that. Now, of course, they are. And, and you know, the goods that we get out of China, certainly the textiles I see uh, occasionally are as good as anything that was being shipped out of Japan and Korea and Taiwan 25, 30 years ago. Mm. Interesting. Mm. Yeah, and uh, it makes me, you know, I can understand that. I, I've been to China and I can actually understand them doing that, giving you something <laughs> completely different because there was some sort of some slight recognition to the same item. It's like, there you go, there you go. It's like, mm, no, not quite, not you've quite. First-hand experience. Yes, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we've heard how you've had to embrace sort of various customs, um, obviously in your story today, and we, we've heard of stories off air. Um, we'd certainly know how in Turkey you, you've told us that they don't really like giving bad news. So the answer is always no problem. And yet, you know, you know, actually that that might indicate that there is a slight problem. Um, and you also told us in India how you saw a man who you thought had been happily sitting in the street, minding his own business, was actually dead. Yes. And that he was eventually carted off without any fuss, um, which, you know, that just would not happen here, would it? I mean, no, can it you imagine? No. Um, so, I th- totally alien to us. I mean, you know, what sort of things have you seen that has really amazed you? Or is there, a, a, apart from the Chinese example, is there anything else that you found particularly challenging or or, or yeah. just some things that you've not, not you can't really ex- I don't know, understand, but you accept it anyway and move on. Well, I'll tell you, you, you actually hit on the point but, uh, uh, earlier on, just then, when you said that I, I, it's normal in the Far East and the East, people do not like to give bad news. It's cultural. Mm. So when I started working with the Koreans, Koreans back in, in uh, the mid-90s, let me give you an example. Um, there would be a shipment date which had been confirmed and a letter of credit had been raised and goods which were being shipped by boat had to be finished earlier on the week. in the week. They had to be packed and ready to go to the port on Thursday so that they could 
physically leave on the boat on Saturday. And on Monday morning, I would receive copies of all the documents to give to my uh, uh, garment maker or the retailer so that then they could go to their bank and say, right, we can see the goods are being shipped. Please release the money for the letter of credit. But what would happen occasionally was I would ask earlier on in the week if, if the goods were, if everything was on schedule, and they'd say, yes, no problem, yeah, noted, goods, goods uh, leaving for port Thursday. But what I learned after a few months was that just because the goods were going to the port didn't mean they were definitely going to be shipped out on Saturday because it is likely that when they had been packed and when they had been sent to the port, meantime, they were going through, they would inspect uh, um, a, a one roll of fabric from each dye lot. Now, depending on how many thousands and tens, hundreds of thousands of metres, you could have 100 dye lots. And of course, once they'd started going through them, they might find a quality problem, whatever it could be, a colour shading problem, a, a weaving problem. And so, mm -hmm. of course, they wouldn't ship the goods. And then on Monday morning, I'd come in and there would be a, 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 an email uh, very sorry, Mr. Chris, on inspection, we found that there was a colour problem. Uh, we will have to ship the goods out on Tuesday. Now, these these um, uh, mills out there are vast, vast, and they can die. You know, they will work 24-7 and they will get they will get goods out. So more often than not, the actual order will be shipped, completed or part shipped the following Tuesday and the balance the following Saturday. But I had to learn to accept that. There was no good me jumping up and down. It was no good me getting angry. I had mm. to be courteous and respectful at all times because one of the big lessons about the Far East, however much you may disagree with someone out there, you must always allow them to keep their face, keep their respect. In answer to your second point, was there anything else that was shocking? Well, it was the one you, you told me about, you mentioned about the um, the, the dead body because life, uh, India again was totally different. I mean, India was completely disorganized. I have no idea how the shirt business developed through the 80s, you know, the manufacturing of shirts mm. uh, uh, developed through the 80s and 90s because when I went out there, the processes were as chaotic as the streets and the streets were amazing. Mm -hmm. I, I would I've never been back and I would love to go again because it's as crazy as you see it on, on um, documentaries. It, it's just a wonderful uh, it's a it, it, you walk it's along like a hive street. of activity, isn't it's it? Psychedelic. Yeah. It's psychedelic. It's 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 incredible. It, it is. You're right. Hive of activity. There was no process for um, uh, shipping goods out and goods would arrive in the UK. They were unwrapped. They didn't have tickets on them, and it was so that transferred, of course, into into the street because and, and this poor man, who I'd been staying in my plush hotel and I'd looked down for maybe four or five days from from the swimming pool, which was raised about two floors below, and I'd see him drinking a couple of mornings or having something to eat, but didn't think anything of it on the morning when I looked across and just thought he was fast asleep. And then the ambulance pulled up and um, and carted him off because he was dead. But nobody, nobody turned, you know. No one bat an eyelid or. <laughs> life has a different meaning. Yeah, yeah. We've talked about customs and culture and, and what happens when things go wrong from processes and ways of doing things. But what about the language barrier? You know, at that point, we didn't have Google Translate. Um, 
you know, obviously pros and cons for Google Translate, but did you have to deal with interpreters or did you find that a lot of your suppliers would speak English or did you learn the language? You know, how did you, how did you cope with the language barrier? Very easily, Isla, because we are privileged in, 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 to speak English because English is the global language of choice for trade and still is. I was only reading an article yesterday uh, that uh, it is globally, it, it is the global language. And um, obviously, uh, um, the Far East have been trading with the US for years before it started trading with the individual Western nations. And of course, what was their language? English. And when I, uh, you know, when I started working with them on email or talking to them, their English was better than mine. They were fluent. Wow. Mm, that's amazing. Yes. Yes, it is. But that's that's the cultures again. If you want to trade around the world, you've got to speak English. You know, you think about it, the global language for a pilot and a co-pilot is English. Mm. Yeah. So you didn't have to deal with any sort of translators or interpreters along the way? No, no, not in any of the countries I ever visited. No. Yeah, how does that make you, how does that, yeah, I didn't, how does that make you feel? Do you feel, you know, sometimes when you go somewhere and immediately you sit down in a restaurant and they'll come over and they look at you and they they flick through the menus to find the English version, hand you the English version and then ask you anything to drink? (laughs) And you think, just, you know, just give me a chance. I, I, I can ask for a beer in Spanish, you know, just, but you, but it's, it's, they'll just, you know, assume that you can't speak the lingo and they'll, and they'll do it for you. And sometimes I feel a little bit embarrassed by that. Well, there's two ways to look at that, which I learned. Uh, When uh, my wife and I spent a lot of time going between, as you know, Turkey and the UK, we learned, we, we learned a good, good understanding. We had a good command of Turkish and we naturally would be in a restaurant and um, we would start to speak Turkish and they would speak English to us. And I remember asking that question someone years ago, um, someone who uh, uh, probably who, who became a very good friend, actually, one particular man, Ramazan, he became a very good friend and still is a good friend. And, and I asked him why um, he wouldn't speak Turkish to me. He said, because I had the opportunity to practice my English. And we get a lot of English English people over here. So the, it's a two-way thing. Yeah. They're okay. proud. They're very proud because they've learned a foreign language. It's us, the Brits, who go into another country and just assume that someone's going to speak English to us. And, of course, generally speaking, they will. But, they you will. know, even if you don't speak the local language, some friends of mine uh, came over uh It was the last, the year before, yeah, three years ago. And uh, they were concerned that they were invited up to come and have lunch with our, uh, dinner rather, with our neighbours. Is this in England or in Turkey? No, sorry, in Turkey. In Turkey, yeah. Yeah, they were invited to come and have uh, dinner with us uh, and our neighbours. And they were concerned that they couldn't speak Turkish. I said, don't don't worry about that. We uh, We will interpret for you, no problem. So, note, no plot problem. Well, actually, it wasn't <laughs> a problem because at the end of the evening, he came away and said, I can't believe that. He said, I didn't feel uncomfortable at all. He said, I didn't feel that, that uh, because I didn't know the language and he doesn't, didn't know any of it, that I wasn't welcomed. And, and I think 
sometimes you can learn so much by, and this again is a, a, something else, you know, it's about watching people, isn't it, Lisa? It's about mm. body language, which because of, because of the pandemic wearing masks, you lose so much. But you can tell so much by someone's body language, their facial expressions. Um, and you know when they're happy if their eyes smile with the rest of their mouth. <laughs> yes. Because there yeah. are some... There are some uh, nationalities around the world where they'll smile with their mouth, but if they're not smiling with their eyes, you know that it's just a mask. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, I'm I'm glad that they went on to um, develop Google Translate because <laughs> when I arrived in China, I I trying to find my way out of the airport was was difficult. Um, especially the fact that we it was like half past six in the morning. I'm really really tired. And uh, so, and we ordered a, um, a driver to pick us up to take us to the hotel. We had no idea at all where we were. So, you know, you, you completely put your trust in this this man and hope that he's going to take you. You're going to end up where you you hoped you would end up. And um, we got into his car, and bless him, he had all the aircon going, and he had cold drinks ready for us, which was lovely. And but he couldn't speak a word of English. We couldn't speak a word of Chinese. And it was almost, you know, sometimes you can get by with a little bit of this and a little bit of that if you're in Europe, because some of the the vowel, some of the um, words all root from Latin. And somehow sometimes you can think, oh, I know what that means. And although you can't answer back you you've you've got the gist of it but there was no way there was nothing that we could draw upon so he literally had google translate on his phone and he spoke into his phone and then handed it to us so that we could read what he'd just said and then we had to respond and hand him back the phone and that's how it went um unfortunately that's how it continued even that when he was driving which was a little bit worrying but um <laughs> there was lots of traffic so it was very stop start but um you know we were really grateful for that you know so uh, things have definitely come on and i'm sure sort of business travelers are making the most of that these days as well yes i would agree i mean when you think about it the beatles had that that uh, song didn't they a little help from my friend who do we know that google translate will become that friend and I've used yeah. it, you know, I've used that myself in Turkey. Often uh, I'd be in a conversation with someone and, yes, I had a good understanding. My understanding of Turkish was very good. It's quite, it's pidgin. So we we, we use long sentences. They'll lose, where we use maybe 10 or 12 words, they'll use three or four, um, mm. you know. Um, so uh, Google Translate was fantastic. And, and if I wasn't sure how to answer in Turkish, just type it in and, we just listened to it and, and it became a joke, certainly with my neighbours, that I would bring along um, Uncle Google because Google <laughs> is, in Turkish, Google Amja means Uncle Google. And uh, uh, yes, that became quite common. Bring Google Am- Amja. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So I would like to ask you, Chris, about skill set. Um, you've said about watching people and listening to people. What would you say? I mean, two-part question, really. One, you know, what's your view of what would make a good businessman or woman in a foreign country? You know, what skills do they need to have, really? And were there any skills that you developed as a result of your travelling? Well, first question, learn a dress code. Because if certainly if you were going to the Middle East, um, 
it's important that you understand how to dress, especially as a, as a woman. Mm. Answer to your second question, very straightforward, respect. Embrace their culture, learn to say thank you in the local language, listen, observe, suck it up. Mm. Did you see, did you come across other businessmen that you found that weren't, they weren't doing that, that they were completely in the deep end and getting it wrong? Were you ever? Yes, I was. In fact, I I sometimes on a trip to the Far East, I'd meet another, uh, you know, someone else who was an agent or or a a garment manufacturer or whatever. And um, I'd see their behaviour or... I'd be in a meeting, maybe in the UK, uh, with with a garment manufacturer, and, and and I would have said, "Look, this is the situation. You may not like it, but we've got to resolve this. Please don't shout." And what do they do? They shouted, and of mm. course, the Korean would clam up. They just sit there. They don't understand that. They go. The Chinaman wouldn't understand it. They just go. And I don't know whether you ever experienced it, uh, Lisa, when you're in China, but. A lot of Chinese people, when you're talking to them, they give nothing away. You would have mm. absolutely no idea from their facial expression uh, what they were thinking. So I did ex- did see it. I did experience it. It embarrassed me. And I can remember a number of conversations uh, with the garment manufacturer afterwards and say, well, that was a waste of time. Say, but I explained to you, you've got, you want to achieve this. The supplier wants to achieve that. But if you go in there like a bull in a china shop, it's not going to work because they don't understand your way of negotiating. Mm. Maybe it's changed now 20 years on. But I know we all get frustrated. But it's like any given situation, even over here, if you're going to complain about something, Lisa, you just remain calm and courteous. Mm. Nine times out of 10, the result will be what you would like and also the person that you've been talking to doesn't feel uncomfortable because you said thank you you make them feel comfortable it's so simple and I've worked like that all my life and I still use so many of those skills gifts that I learned from the far east in everyday life Mm, yeah that's great something's just popped into my mind in China actually which was was a I guess yeah my custom but we had been out and we came back to the hotel and decided to have lunch in the hotel and Sally my friend had ordered some soup for lunch so the waitress was taking the order and then you know we we decided drinks what would you like to drink and Sally said oh I'll, I'll have this I can't remember what it was called but it was a cold it was like a pie cold pineapple drink and she said that sounds good I'll have that and the waitress said, oh, no, you can't have that. And she said, why not? She said, well, because you're having soup. The soup's hot and that drink's very cold. That's not good for you. And Sadie <laughs> said, oh, <laughs> we all looked at each other. So Sadie said, oh, OK. Um, OK, I'll just have water then. <laughs> you know, it was just a, it was, but it, she was adamant that Sally was not going to have that because one thing was very hot and the other thing was very cold and, the, you know, the two shouldn't mate. I never experienced that. I never experienced that, yeah. but I, I could kind of understand that because 
um, they have a different approach to health than we do, again, in the West, whereas nine times out of ten we'll jump for a chemical option. Over there, they, they, they are very, they are healthy in comparison. And hot and cold, no, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have a hot soup and a cold drink. No, they would never consider it. Because actually, it's not good for the stomach. No. We, we do it. We just, well, I, I, I don't do it. But uh, um, I know that people do. And if you think about it, you're drinking something hot and then you drink something very cold. It's a shock to the system. Yeah. But it was, it, it was also con- interesting that she, you know, she, she didn't think, oh, my God, blooming tourists. That, you know, look what she's ordered. <laughs> she actually said to Sally, no, mm. you can't have it. <laughs> you can't do that. And we were like, oh, OK. <laughs> well, there's an example, you see. That, yeah, that, yeah. That's their culture. That, that's, you don't do that here. And, no. um, maybe she's changed now. Uh, maybe she's learned a bit more about Western Western people, different, you know, different cultures. But, uh, yeah, I, I could understand you um, thinking, oh, right. <laughs> to be honest, I, said, I, I, I certainly wouldn't fancy a cold drink with soup. And I think that the, the, the cold drink, I think Sally was probably thinking, we've, we're hot and bothered. It's boiling hot out there. We've just got back that, that cold pineapple drink sounds really refreshing I'll have that now and you know that'll be gone in time you know I'm not going to drink it with the soup but um I think it was the whole <laughs> the whole yes. idea of the, the 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 waitress being so outspoken and so determined that we knew that was we weren't even going to challenge that we'll just carry on no I well, <laughs> but I think she's coming from the perspective of you see um there is this misunderstanding that if it's hot, you drink a cold drink. No, you don't. You have a hot drink. You know, mm. in, in in India, for example, chai all the time. You drink tea all the time, mm. hot tea. Same in Turkey, same in the Far East. I drink drank green tea all day long, everywhere I went. Mm. Um, you know, you rarely saw, mind you, it's 20 years ago, but even in, in Turkey, I rarely saw a Turkish person, for example, I'm only using that as an example because that's that's closer, who had ice in a drink, unless it was raki. Um, so you had raki, you'd pour in some water, and sometimes uh, uh, you'd put a cube of ice in. But generally, when I drank raki, I'd have it without ice. But sometimes they have a little, little uh, bowl of ice to the side and they'll put some ice in mm. just to cool it but not to chill it so it's ice cold. Mm. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, so they, they've, they've learned to deal with heat in a different way to us, haven't they? Yes, they? it's a dietary they're, approach. Yeah, they're, they're lucky enough to have a warmer climate. Yes, <laughs> but we won't touch on the weather. <laughs> Bloody weather. <laughs> so, anyway, I, we're fast running out of time as usual, but Isla, I'd, I'd love to hear your takeaway from today. What, what, what have you... What have you taken away that might be useful? I think for me, listening to all of the stories, it's about it's about empathy. I think that's what it boils down to, being able to put yourself into the shoes of the people that you're that you're working with, you know, seeing their point of view and then 
you know, going with it, whether that's the customs, the dress code that we've talked about, but, you know, understanding where they're from and, and understanding their emotions. I mean, none of us want to get angry at the end of the day. So, you know, why would we put ourselves in a situation just through lack of, of knowledge and I think that if we can recognize the common connection between people through empathy, through understanding, I think it can help us all relate much better to one another. Mm, yeah, I totally agree. Uh, and I, I, from my point of view, I think one of the things that Chris has said about the language, me, when I was saying that, you know, I sometimes find it embarrassing because everybody speaks English. I hadn't looked at it from the flip side. I hadn't yeah. sort of thought about the fact that they, and I think some people speak English and uh, I don't know, you, you, you're Spanish writer. Sometimes they just want to quickly get it over with and done with because they're busy. But, you know, for some people, I think, yeah, Chris has got a point. They're probably really, really pleased to practice their their foreign language, their English. And perhaps next time I ought to say, oh, your, your English is very good. Well done. Um, and give them the 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 clap and the and the you know I don't know the recognition they deserve for for actually learning a second language. Yes, I'm and nodding I, here. I'm nodding here. You're so nodding. Good. I'm really yeah, pleased. That, that's I, I that's great radio, Chris. Nodding. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Brilliant. But also, I, I just I do think that it's it's really good to be prepared. I think that you you ought to do a little bit of homework before you travel these days because it would be awful and I'm sure you know many many people around would would hate to upset someone just because they hadn't realized that there was a something that you shouldn't do or um you know one of our ways was at particularly upsetting to someone else so and and there are lots of things that you just need to accept and move on with even if you don't agree with it i.e drinking a hot drink and uh, drinking a cold drink with soup you know if if that's if they don't like that then you know let's not challenge it let's move on (laughs) it is what it is i don't think it's about them not liking it i think actually what they're doing is because the way they've been brought up yeah and so to them it's abhorrent what hot Mm. and cold no no it's not good for your health Mm. So that that's where she was coming from that day. That she she um, yeah yeah uh, wanted to. She thought no no you'll you'll be you'll be unwell, and that's because that's the way she'd been brought up. That's their culture. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But lots of things in China, were, you know. Well, actually, I mean, lots of things in in Asia really. But um, particularly going to the loo was a bit of a. <laughs> but anyway, we won't touch on that. We won't touch on <laughs> Moving that. Moving on swiftly. <laughs> Moving on swiftly, yeah. Um, so what would be your top tip to people wanting to trade overseas today? Well, I think, as I said earlier on, I I, I think respect. Respect. Mm. You know, uh, have a look at uh, if there are any uh, particular uh, cultural approaches to uh, business. Um, Maybe it's it's uh, courteous to take a gift because mm. the Koreans, for example, whenever they came over, in fact, my friend Steve does from Taiwan as well, but whenever the Koreans came over, they would always bring a gift. Um, and I remember a couple of them would always bring perfume for my wife. And I learned very quickly that they loved whiskey. And I would always take two, three bottles of whiskey with me. Uh, mm. for for uh, various suppliers in, in Korea. And that was always, it's just one of those very small courtesies, but they were so grateful. And that showed to them that you had thought about it and you are classed as a friend. 
Yeah. So, yes, in answer to your question, respect, learn about a cultural uh, approach, maybe see if it's custom to, to take a gift, but just learn to say thank you uh, uh, and, and listen, observe, um, be calm. Oh, just, just, yeah, think about them. Uh, think about why they are saying something to you in the manner that they are saying to you. Forget your way and think about it and then reply in a manner and a way that they will understand. Mm. These are wise words, Chris, very much so. Thank you so much for everything that you've shared with us today. It's been a fascinating conversation. How can people get in touch with you? Well, nowadays, uh, I have a very simple email address, which is mountain eyes, mountain and then eyes, E-Y-E-S at gmail.com. And I am on LinkedIn. Fabulous. Thank you. Good. Yeah. So we can and you just as are you as Christopher Pollard on LinkedIn or just Chris? Very good question. I think (laughs) that's a good question. I, I, in fact, I was only changing my profile last week. Maybe I'm Christopher because I'm now, um, now that I'm, I've stepped down as CEO, I'm um, now a business uh, mentor to the uh, charity sector. Excellent. Uh, I didn't look at my name. Oh, it's fabulous. I've just done a very quick, uh, uh, Google search. Um, (laughs) on LinkedIn, it's Pollard Chris. Thank you so much. So people are able to find you. There you go. Yeah. Wonderful. Okay. So here we are at the end of another podcast. Chris, much gratitude to you for sharing your story and your time. We've really enjoyed it. I enjoyed hearing the story um, at the Business Diaries Live event the very first time back in March 2017. Can you believe that? Such a long time ago. But yeah, brilliant. Really good. Thank you very much. Um, we've we've enjoyed having all your advice and tips as well for traveling and working abroad. Well, thank so you very I'm much going... for having me on. Uh, I really do appreciate it. And it's been a oh, pleasure to talk Yeah, our pleasure both. too. Our pleasure too. Um, ongoing thanks go to our friend Paul Cheese for his the super jingle and all his editing magic. Isla, do we have any announcements before we go? Just to say, please follow us on our social media platforms at The Biz Diaries. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook. And do check out some of the previous stories. We've had a, we've got a lovely back catalogue of stories for you to listen to. Some that'll make you laugh. Some that might even shed a tear or two. But they can always be guaranteed to be thought-provoking. So check out some of, your, some of the backstories and let us know what you think. Excellent, excellent. So... Finally, thanks go to you, the listener, for tuning in. We hope you've enjoyed today's story and the discussion and that you'll join us for the next one. Bye for now. Bye-bye. We hope you have enjoyed listening to this edition of The Business Diaries. We would love to hear your feedback. Please find us on Twitter and Facebook at The Biz Diaries. 